The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, it's Scary Parish. It's Friday, January 8, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and it wasn't too long ago when we discussed Northwestern as one of the best stories in the entire sport. The Wildcats were 6-1, and one, had wins over Michigan State, Indiana, and Ohio State. They were alone atop the Big Ten standings after being picked dead last in the preseason Big Ten poll. That all seems like a million years ago now. Since then, Northwestern has lost to Iowa by 15 points, to Michigan by 19 points, and on Thursday night, the Wildcats lost to Illinois by 25 points after leading by 15 at the half. These dudes were up 43-28 after 20 minutes. Then they were outscored 53-13 to in the second half en route to an 81-56 loss. So Illinois became the first Division I team in the past 25 years to trail by at least 15 points at halftime but still win by 20-plus points. The Illini also became the first team to outscore a power conference opponent by at least 40 points and a half since Kentucky outscored Vanderbilt by 43 in the second half of a game played back in March 2003. Dead leg, Kofi Coburn said last night he'd never been a part of something like that. Can you even remember anything like this? No, and uh, it happened in a blur. The game, so I was watching this game along, it was a decent Thursday night in college hoops, and I was watching this one, but then wound up getting a call uh, from, uh, from let's just say, a high-ranking NCAA source, and we talked about a, a few different things, and uh, I tweeted about some of that earlier today. Anyway, the point is, I was on the phone for about 20 minutes and kind of like paying attention but not locked in, and the next thing I knew, I was like, wait a second. I was like, hold on, Illinois is up by eight right now. Like, what what happened here? Phone call out ended soon thereafter. And then it just continued. I mean, this was the biggest Jekyll and Hyde performance I think I'd ever seen in my life. I just, uh, Illinois would have beaten Gonzaga. <laughs> they were that good in the second half that no one was stopping that team. That was an unbelievable performance there. And... Northwestern, what, 13 points in the second half? Brutal. I mean, this was this was as bad as it was for Northwestern as I think it was great for Illinois. Um, but, yeah, no, a dominant performance. One coach hit me up and said this team, in reference to Illinois, said they're great, but they're schizophrenic. Like, they just uh, – the good record, quality losses, but they will go through these weird stretches where you don't know – what kind of team this is. It's just, uh, yeah, it's unbelievable. You hit on, you know, you hit on the biggest ones and it is the biggest win by margin. I, this was on uh, Sports Center late night last night. It was the biggest win by margin in at least a decade by any team in Division One. Uh, if you were losing by at least 15 points at halftime and it wasn't even close. I think Wright State was the closest there. So yeah, it was... Uh, it was, a, it was a dominant comeback win for one of my preseason Final Four picks. It's not uncommon to see a team play poorly in the first half and great in the second, or great in the first half and poorly in the second. Like, that happens every day of the season somewhere. What make this made this so unique is that one team was great in the first half and the other was awful, and then it completely flipped in a way that was – hard to understand, but also in a way that was incredibly extreme. I mean, 53 to 13? What? what? In 20 minutes? 53 to 13? Two made field goals by Northwestern in the second half. How Two! You, you, every, you, you do... 
on scholarship. How can you only put a ball in a basket t- twice against Illinois? And Illinois is like a good defensive team, like top 20, but not top five, not number one. You 13 points in a half? Bad. What? I know. And after uh, it's the fact that Illinois won a game 81-56, which was a double-digit comeback win, is just it's bonkers. After the game, um, I had Big Ten Network on, and they I don't know if they went live, but they showed some of Chris Collins' post-game Zoom media availability. And it, let me be clear, he was not using this as the reason why it happened, but he said... You know, unfortunately, what what doesn't help the situation is when they get going, we lost our momentum. We just don't have a home crowd here. Like, you know, that's not to say we wouldn't have lost otherwise, but, you know, any help that we could have gotten that might have just stymied a, a break there and helped us here, <laughs> maybe made it, you know, 71-63 instead of 81-56, because if it's that, who knows if we're even talking about it on this podcast. Um, and I think that's a legitimate point. Uh, this has been something that I've heard from from coaches throughout the season. Teams that have the organic and natural ability to bring their own energy to these games, be it if you're in a tight one, you're winning big, you're down big, either way, to have that commitment to it uh, is something that is kind of a something that needs to be necessarily uh, contagious within your own team, that kind of energy. And clearly, Illinois had it. Underwood said he didn't really say anything uh, too crazy at halftime. I joked that, you know, there's going to be 200 coaches that want to know what he said because, yeah, to your question, there have been amazing, you know, that game really changed in the second half. I can't remember anything like this. It was two different teams. You would have thought they... Uh, swapped uniforms. Kofi Coburn was a stud, man. And when he plays like that, he's a top 15 player in America. So credit to the Fighting Illini on uh, on on getting that win. I, this One last thing. It is, it has gone the way that I said it probably would go when we when we opened up on Northwestern, what, almost two weeks ago? Started 3-0, and then I said, well, this is where it gets tricky, though. You got a road game at Iowa. It lost it by 15. You got a road game against Michigan. It lost it by 19. And then you got a home game against Illinois. It loses by 25 points. Those three teams are four, Iowa, eight, Michigan, five, Illinois, and Ken Palm. And now Northwestern has to, his next scheduled game is next Wednesday on the road against Ohio State. It had a good start, but this isn't going to cut it if it wants to make the NCAA tournament. Northwestern starts 3-0 in the Big 12. I'm Big Ten, rather. That'd have been something if they did it in the Big Twelve. That would have been three, unprecedented. It had been why had been hard to make sense of. That has, that has screwed up the computers for sure. <laughs> three and zero in the Big Ten, and then they lose the next three. So now they're three and three. And Kim Pom projects them to be underdogs in each of their next twelve games. So uh, this is uh, maybe going to ease up a little bit because you're not going to have Iowa, Michigan, Illinois. Like that might be the toughest three game stretch. Anybody plays in college basketball this year, Iowa, Michigan, Illinois, you know, three top 10 teams. So it's going to ease up, but basically everybody on your schedule is, it appears at this point better than you. And that's obviously problematic. I think Chris is right about the home court advantage thing. Now, the, the problem with using that, and I know you said he didn't use it as an excuse, which is possibly an explanation. I'm not trying to make a big deal out of it, but you know, it's not unique to him. You know, like Bill Self doesn't have a home court advantage right now. And John Calipari doesn't have a home court. Nobody has a real home court advantage right now. Certainly not the way they would in normal times. But I do think that is playing a role, and we talked about it on a recent podcast, in the way this college basketball season unfolds. Do we really think Duke would have lost twice inside Cameron Indoor early if it had Cameron Indoor filled the capacity? I, I don't think so. Uh, do we really think Texas would have beaten Kansas by 25 points in Allen Fieldhouse if Allen Fieldhouse would have had 16,300 in there? I don't think so. San Diego State was on our air Thursday night um, against Nevada at home, and it was a close game from start to finish. Like San Diego State won, but it was a tight game tied late. And I just, I, with a, you know, I've been to that building. It's an incredible home court advantage. If it would have been in a normal season, I don't think that that game would have unfolded the same way. And so I think Chris is probably correct. You're up on Illinois. I mean, how about this? Let's just play it out. You're up 15 points on Illinois at home. 
your crowd's into it, going crazy. You're beating a top 10 team with two maybe first-round draft picks. Does Illinois ever even make that run? Right. And when they do make that run, can your crowd be the thing that helps you stop it and keep the game competitive? It, we see it all the time in sports. So I don't think it's outrageous to think that it, it would have existed in this situation. But ultimately, none of it matters because none of that's changing anytime soon. The virus is not going to be gone by the time this season is over. This is the way we are going to play this season. Hell, it might be the way we play next season too. But um, not having home court advantage, I think, can lead to some weird results and also lead to some teams being able to make big runs on the road in ways that would be more difficult to do in normal times. We saw it last weekend, Texas at Kansas. We saw it Thursday night, Illinois at Northwestern. Yeah, Big Ten uh, had an interesting night because uh, Iowa just destroys Maryland. Maryland's in deep trouble, by the way. Look at its upcoming schedule. Terps are 6-6. Six and six. I don't think Maryland's going to the tournament, and uh, that's, a, that's, a, it, that's a bitter pill for that program. It can still do it, but I just don't think it's going to happen because it would have probably been like a second weekend team a season ago. Then there's no tournament now. It's in this brutal conference in it. But it blows one at home, no fans, against Iowa, loses an opportunity. If you know if the joint is, is, is packed, who knows? You know, Iowa's clearly the better team, but you just don't know. And then with the... Um, with that double OT Indiana Wisconsin game, you know Indiana was even in the game GP because there weren't uh, there weren't fans, there wasn't that environment uh, at the Kohl Center, and then Wisconsin overcame it eventually, and they pulled away in the second uh, overtime. But I just thought it would, between all that stuff, I thought it was a, a pretty interesting Thursday night uh, in the Big Ten, and the better teams won in each of those games. Iowa won on the road, Wisconsin pulled it out in double T uh, double OT at home, and then Illinois got obviously just that you know. Uh, historic kind of win uh, against Northwestern. And I do think not having the stands filled uh, played their own kind of interesting roles in each of those matchups. Yeah, I had Wisconsin-Indiana on while I was popping in and out of studio for CBS Sports Network. And Indiana's in a tough spot now. Yeah. They've got strong computer numbers. Like they're 22nd at Kinpon, but they're 7-5 and five and now projected to finish below 500 in the Big Ten. Like those strong computer numbers will help you but not if you don't win some of these games, you know, they, they're not winning enough. I know that sounds very simple, but like almost every situation you're in in the big 10 is going to be difficult when you're up six with less than six to play in regulation against a quality opponent, you need to be able to hang on to that. Instead, they mess around, let Wisconsin tie it, get into overtime. And then Wisconsin, um, was nearly up double digits in the second overtime, so you get what was ultimately a seven-point difference in the final score. But Indiana's in a in a in a tough place. I mean, we don't need to spend much time on it because we talked about him before. But it now seems, I think, more likely than not that Archie Miller is going to finish his fourth season in Bloomington with zero NCAA tournament appearances. The good news is they get to walk in the Pinnacle Bank on Sunday, so they got Ooh. that going for them. That's nice. Then they've got Purdue next Thursday. That's a home game. Uh, that will be intriguing. Uh, Purdue, like Indiana right now, sits at 7-5. and five. Uh, We are recording this on Friday afternoon, so there will be no... Uh, by the time some of you get this, it's probably Saturday morning. Purdue plays Michigan State on Friday night. It's the only good game of Friday, and uh, a loss there. It's going to get... It's going to like another week perish, but uh, we could be heading toward an interesting situation where we start to evaluate the field and the Big Ten and these teams that keep on taking a lot of these losses and how many bids the Big Ten will get. Um, we'll see, but you're right. Indiana, it had it. It had it, man. It should have won that game. It had it in regulation, and then it had it again in overtime. And just two quick things and we can scoot on. Um, I, IU fans got issues with the with the whistle. I'm just, uh, I'm not interested. Uh, and two, uh, Dimitrik Trice... He is just a baller. Like, I, I sent out a, a tweet on this on Thursday. You know, he's shooting 42%. He had a couple of just big-time baskets in that game, and he's the kind of college player I love. He's just a veteran, awesome, savvy, has a knack for the game, senior point guard that gets shots, is completely unafraid. He can play for my team anytime. I love watching that dude ball. He is so, so much fun. And I know that Micah Potter might be the team's best player. Maybe Nate Reavers might be the team's best player. Brad Davison can make some big plays. But Demetri Trice, to me, seems like the most valuable, irreplaceable player on that roster. And he's why Wisconsin's not even just going to like easily make it into the tournament, but they're going to have a chance at winning the Big Ten. And if you do that, have a chance at actually being a one seed. 
You can change your mind at a later date. I don't care. But at this moment, if you had to pick a Big Ten champ, who would you pick? I'm still going to stick with Illinois. It was my pick in the preseason. As we sit here and talk on Friday, GP, right now, Michigan is the only undefeated team in the league to refresh listeners' memories. It's 5-0. and Illinois is at 5-1. and Iowa and Wisco are both at 4-1. and And then there's a, a line of separation. Minnesota's taken on its lumps as late. You've got Minnesota, Rutgers, and Northwestern all at 3-3. Three and three. And then get this, Ohio State, Iowa. IU, Purdue, Michigan State, as we record this podcast, all of those teams have three losses to just two wins, uh, but I am going to take Illinois. I presume you'll stick with Iowa. I think I would take Michigan. I've watched them okay. like multiple times over the past week or two. They're awesome. Like they are, they are operating at a high level, top 10 offense, top 20 defense. Um, Hunter Dickinson is outrageous they seem to play with a real purpose. Like they don't get caught up in the score. Like they, they're playing every possession, which is what every coach preaches, but it's not what every coach gets. But like Juwan's got this team operating at a really, really high level. Now, you know, they haven't beaten one of the fellow big boys in the big 10 yet. They'll have that opportunity. I think next Tuesday they get Wisconsin, but that team looks that. How about this? I've watched all these teams play. Multiple times. You, you can take a, you know, like obviously if all you did was watch the second half of Illinois Northwestern, you'd go, well, that's the best team in the Big Ten and the best team in the country. Like, I don't want to cherry pick these moments. I will say this. To my eyeballs, Michigan looks the most consistently great, if that makes sense. Like I, when I watch, I don't, they don't have, I haven't seen them lately have a first half like Illinois' first half against Northwestern. They, they look consistently great every time I've watched them over the past couple of weeks. Here's how I'll define this real quick, then we can scoot to the next topic. Um, Michigan is the team that I'm most intrigued by. Iowa is the team that I think is the most dangerous. Illinois is the team that is the most well-rounded, but if not frenetic. And Wisconsin is the team that is the most reliable. That's how I would define it. It's, it's turning into, you know, we're probably at the quarter pole here. It's turn, maybe a little beyond that. It's turning into a really fascinating race at the top of the Big Ten. And I would fully expect that you're going to have three of these teams fighting for the one and two line minimally. Uh, it's just a matter of, of what flavor, what genre, what style is your preference here. And there's plenty to decipher. And you're right. Michigan can definitely still be there. Dickinson's just the dude, man. He, I think we talked about him in the last podcast. He's awesome. So uh, keep an eye on, on that. And obviously, we're going to get to some Big Ten stuff in the final four and one. Oh, reliable Wisconsin with losses to unranked Marquette and unranked Maryland? <laughs> I, yeah, I still think that I still think that they are... Because I, I want to say Wisconsin... I had it in the power rankings this week. Is it Wisconsin and Baylor? Wisconsin and only one other team, I think it's Baylor, are the only two teams in the country that are top 10 in offensive and defensive efficiency at Ken Palm. The only thing about calling a team like Wisconsin reliable, and, and I'm just nitpicking here, is that they play so many low possession games that they – they put mm. themselves, they can put themselves in, in positions to, to get upset. I think Virginia does that sometimes as well. Like they end up in a fight, shouldn't be a fight because they're playing, you know, really slow, low possession games. And Wisconsin, you know, they, they don't play as slow as, as Virginia, but they, they're in the 300s as well. I agree, and I just fact-checked myself. It is Baylor. Baylor's third in offense and fifth in defense. Them and Wisconsin are the only two in top 10 in both categories at Ken Palm. Norlander led his weekly court report column on the Drake Bulldogs, the undefeated Drake Bulldogs. We're going to spend a few minutes on the first American university to be named after a hip-hop artist next. But first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So Norlander, Drake is now 13-0 with 12 double-digit wins. The Bulldogs, coached by Darren DeVries, are a legitimate story worthy of folks' attention. So it made sense for you to lead your court report column on them. I guess I'll just turn it over to you. What do people need to know about a team that qualifies as possibly the biggest surprise in the sport at this moment? Well, before I get into that, just a quick a quick question for you. I assume the answer is no, but let's let's just do a quick reveal here. Do you have the Drake Loyola game uh, for Sunday in your four games that we're going to pick this weekend? No, but only because I knew we were going to talk about them right here. Agreed. So I'm not going to include that either. So I'll just uh, I'll I'll put that in my little uh, my little piece here. So um, Drake is a listen. We've 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 had some fun with them. Uh, they are 13 and 0. They have the best record in college basketball right now, and they're they're looking wonderful. And they're doing uh, they're they're winning in ways that. I've, I've just texted a few coaches in and outside of that league, and 11 of the 13 are against D1 teams, but they are saying uh, when you look at what they run, how big they are, how physical they are, how smart they play, they seem to be for real. Drake is an interesting program in that it almost never makes the tournament, but it did make it in 2008, and that season, Drake was aberrationally good. It went uh, it went 28-4 and heading into the NCAA tournament, Won the Valley with a 15-3 and record. Uh, trivia time. Do you remember the coach of Drake when that happened? The coach of Drake when? When it went to 2007-2008 and uh, had a 28-5 and record and got a five-seed in the tournament. He got immediately promoted to another job. Do you remember who it was? Keno Davis, Providence. That's right. Keno Davis to Providence. And I, I remember that season, there was um, definitely some... Just general chatter. This is like just before. This is before Twitter and all this stuff. But you know, you'd, you'd you'd read the columns, hop on the occasional what AOL chat room, whatever was rolling back then, and there was just a feeling that like Drake might be a little bit of a paper tiger. That wound up proving to be true when it got knocked out in a in a very memorable first round game against Western Kentucky that went to overtime. Other than that, Drake has not made the NCAA tournament since the very early 1970s, and traditionally this has been viewed as if not the toughest, then one of the two toughest jobs inside the Missouri Valley. And it's just not expected to be a team that's in the top five of the league standings most of the time. It's 13-0. It's doing it, and there's a couple interesting angles with it. And I wrote about it, so I won't get too crazy into this. I'd prefer if you go and read the court report. I will link it in the podcast bio description. But it lost Liam Robbins, who was arguably the best defensive player in the Valley a season ago and set the program record for blocks in a season. He goes to Minnesota, where he's currently, he's the second best player, I think, on that roster to Marcus Carr and helping the Golden Gophers ideally make it to the tournament. So normally when a program loses a player like that, as you well know, there's not an expectation that the next year, even if you got guys that redshirted coming in, that, that you're going to be able to, you know, replicate the kind of success you had with that player. Drake was a 20-win team a season ago, and the season before that, it was a 24-win team. So maybe a step back was frankly expected a little bit in the Valley. That hasn't happened at all. They uh, have brought in uh, a transfer to have a few guys who did redshirt last season. Um, and the idea of redshirting, by the way, is, is about to go the way to the Dodo uh, for first-time transfers. And they opened their season with the 10-point win at Kansas State. Now, Kansas State's not that good, but still, for a program like Drake, going on the road, fans or no fans, that's a big-time win. It's won five games away from home and is one of only you know a dozen or so Missouri Valley teams to ever start with this many wins at this point in the schedule there. Beyond all this, that's that's good enough in its own right, and you can go read about it. The fact that Darren DeVries is the coach here is a fascinating story in that he went to Northern He played at Northern Iowa in the mid-'90s. He had been on the Creighton staff for almost two decades before this and actually had twice applied and interviewed for the job at Drake, but he got passed over. He didn't get it. The first time it was in 2013 when Ray Giacoletti uh, got the job and he was there for three years and, and fired. And then the second time was in 2017 when the job came open again and Nico Medved took it and Medved was there for one year. He got a job offer to go coach at Colorado State. He's now there. So the job comes open again. And Darren DeVries is an assistant at Creighton. And there are some assistants 
at power conference schools that have agent representation to help them for these exact kind of scenarios. You see, it feel like a job's going to come open. Um, but especially if you've never been a head coach, you're just not, you're not, um, operating from like a, a position of a lot of power, you're going to have to really rely on networking. So uh, some coaches, not all, but some assistants, they want to have an agent to represent them to help them get in the door, get an interview, get a job. DeVries is not like that. He, uh, because because Creighton and Drake are so close to each other, like, you know, hour and 40 minutes by car, uh, if you're cruising, uh, he just happens to know Brian Harden, the, the new AD at the time, and just simply emails him out of the blue and just says, Hey man, you know, I see this job is open again and I'm paraphrasing here, but it's like, you know, I'd really appreciate uh, the opportunity to get to interview again. And I think I'd be a really good fit. And here's why. And he cites the reasons why with Creighton he interviews. He told me he still doesn't know how many other people interviewed. And so he doesn't know how many people he beat out for it. But this is a story that between you and I, GP, I, I mean, I just can't remember anything like it. I'm sure it's happened, and I'm sure something like this, frankly, was common in the 70s and 80s, but in the past 15 years or so in college basketball, I just don't think this happens, and the fact that it happened, maybe it could only happen at a place like Drake where you have an assistant basically promote himself, reach out by email, um, and kind of do it the old school way, and he wins the job, and Drake's not supposed to even be good. Then he wins 24 games his first year. They finished a tie to top the league. They win 20 last season. Now they're off to a 13-0 start. They've got a huge back-to-back on Sunday and Monday against Loyola. It's a big-time showcase for the Missouri Valley because Loyola actually projects as the best team in the league. Drake is the second-best team, according to the predictive metrics there. And the Valley itself has the 10th best non-conference winning percentage in league history this season. It's doing well. It's a good league. The league actually could be a two-bid league if things break the right way and Drake and Loyola basically beat everyone else. So I wanted to highlight it. There's more at the court report in addition to some other good stuff that I want you to give a read. But yeah, Drake is uh, Drake has become one of the better stories. And if it can win two, I watched a little bit of Inside College Basketball and I heard what Wally Zerbiak said and I think I agree with him. If it can win the next two against Loyola, then I think it goes from something we talk about on this podcast and I highlight on cbssports.com to being more of a collective like, oh, God, there's a team that's better than Gonzaga record-wise only and is uh, is making a run, and maybe it can really be like a special team out of the Valley, similar to what Wichita State was six years ago. I like that you said something's about to go the way of the Dodo. Yeah, that's right. Dodo, good stuff. The, 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 do you know how the Dodo bird went, went extinct or why? Uh, I can tell you, first of all, do you have a, do you, did you bring up the Dodo Wikipedia page when I was doing that? Yeah. The whole time you were talking, I wasn't listening. I was looking up Dodo birds. Okay. Give me, how about this? How about this? Let me try and go over under play at home. Let me try and go over under the year the Dodo bird was ruled extinct. All right. I don't have it up. Okay, I'm, I, I'm going off the top of my head. I assume okay, it's on the page. I don't, right? I, don't know, I don't. Okay. I do have it. I have the, I have a year. What does what is the phrasing around? Does it say extinct and then the year? Or is it like believed to be extinct? What do they have? What's the phrasing around it? The last confirmed sighting of a dodo bird was in this year. Okay, I feel like I can get this within fifteen years. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go 1902. What you could not have been more wrong? Oh, you gotta be kidding me! What I, I thought? How how long? Dude, the dodo bird has been gone for a long time. I really Two-year-old thought- Tony Hinkle had no <laughs> shot at ever witnessing a dodo bird. I'm telling you. Oh, no. I really thought it was like late, 18, late 1800s. No? No. What do we got Dude. here? 1662. <sighs> we lost the dodo bird a long time ago. 1600s, man. 1662. That is the last that that's commonly dated as the last confirmed sighting of a dodo bird. It was 1662. Man, I really whiffed on that. By the way, dodo, great Dave Matthews song. Highly recommend it. Give it a spin. Um, um, why? What? What? What is the cause of the extinction? Extinction of the dodo bird in 1662. Who is responsible for this tragedy? <laughs> It is tragic. I would love if, wouldn't it be great if we walked around with some dodo birds? I would like to walk around with dodo I, birds. I'd like to have dodo birds. Uh, they have, uh, they, were wearing a, they, they have they, a they belief a of what. They'd have to wear a mask until we get through this <laughs> pandemic. Dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. Walking around with dodo birds and mask. What's Before we get them? your thoughts on Drake, why don't you just fill the listeners in on what the hell happened with the last dodo bird or at least believed to be. Dutch sailors ate them to death. They ate them into extinction. The Dutch sailors had a, they had a um, 
they had a, a, a love for the taste of a dodo bird. And here's the problem for the dodo bird. Here's ultimately, here's the problem with the dodo bird. They were the simplest bird to catch because they were not, they, they had no fear of humans. You could just walk, like you try to walk up on a penguin, a penguin's like, I ain't, I'm not messing around with this. But you try to walk up on a dodo bird, a dodo bird would be like, hey, what's up? <laughs> the dodo bird would just be like, hey, how you doing? And then and the Dutch sailor would be like, hey there, dodo bird. Um, so what do you got playing the rest of the day? And then, and then the Dutch sailor might go, hey, look over there real quick. And the dodo bird would turn his little dodo head and the Dutch sailor grab him and just take a bite right out of his neck. It's over with. You do that enough times, now you got an extinct, uh, an extinct dodo bird situation. There are two things I can't stand in this world. People who are intolerant of other people's cultures and the Dutch. They took the, what else, what, what else have the Dutch done to get on your bad side besides lead the dodo oh, bird to extinction? Goodness. It's an Austin Powers quote. Woo! Um, yeah, yeah Woo! but didn't, yeah, well, here, didn't we go through this? That's why um, I did it. Lean into the bit. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I have, you know, the two, th two things, let me tell you the two things I hate. Were is, you really is, thinking is, I didn't like the Dutch? <laughs> I thought you might not. I didn't know. I didn't know. <laughs> like maybe your ex-girlfriend was of Dutch descent. I think I got a grudge. Maybe we should both have a grudge against the Dutch for doing this to the Dodo. Maybe we should I, actually. I'll hold a grudge. I, two things in this world I hate. A, the Dutch, clearly. B, people who quote movies. Just use your own words. That's why you got to quote a movie? Just use your own words. Use your own oh, words. Why man. is it so hard for some humans? Use your own words. Thoughts Thoughts on the, since we're done with the Dutch, thoughts on the Drake? I will tell you this. Um, on whenever they played. Monday night. Monday night. I was, uh, I was the halftime show. The game was on CBS Sports Network, and me and Brent Stover were the halftime show, and we recorded that at like 2 in the afternoon, so I had forgotten about it. But I got a text during halftime or right after halftime from somebody who worked for an NBA franchise, and they were like, you know, hey, just saw you from your attic talking about uh, Missouri Valley Conference basketball. And without me even asking, followed up and said, Hey, this Drake team's pretty good. Like, like they're not just like an undefeated team that, you know, has played nobody. And so that's why they have a zero in the loss column. Although it is important to point out they haven't played a, a legitimate team yet. They haven't, they have zero quad one wins, zero quad two wins. Uh, they haven't played a team that's in the top 150 of the net to date that changes with Loyola Chicago. So it is true that they haven't played anybody, but the point that this person was making to me, and I think it's, I think it's fundamentally true is that they're not simply undefeated. This isn't a bad team that's undefeated because they played nobody. This is a good team that is undefeated and still hasn't played anybody yet. It, this is interesting. They started 158 at Ken Palm and they're up to 58. Like how many teams in the country have jumped a hundred spots in you know, since November 25th. I mean, obviously you've got to be far enough down to even have that possible, but still that, that is an impressive jump to, to go from point A to point B that drastically in, in a 13 game span. They've won 12 of their 13 games by at least 10 points, which is, I think a barometer you and I also agree on. Um, yes. You know, if you want to leave some room for some skepticism, I understand that. Um, but if you beat the teams you're supposed to beat and you're continually doing it by a significant margin, I think that's something that you should point out. And yeah, Drake is performing uh, above expectations and handling everyone. The games against Loyola will, will unquestionably be interesting and it would probably be best for the Valley if both can wind up getting the wins. Just for comparison real quick as we speak, here's where Drake lands right now. It's 13th in the net. Uh, you said 58 in Ken Palm, 52 in Torvik, 65 in Sagarin, 56 in BPI. Um, the last one that's on the team sheet, strength of record, it's really low. You mentioned that it's 327 according to strength of record. So that is a, a little bit of a problem there, but good win so far. We'll see how it goes. And it would be cool if this is, again, 
College basketball can afford these affords us these stories uh, pretty much annually. No one thought Drake would be 13-0. Uh, but perhaps it'll be a one- or two-loss team at the end of February. That's a cool story. It would be decently uh, seated if that were the case and it could get into the tournament. And it makes for a really fun story, particularly because Drake is almost never good. It's not just like, oh, yeah, it's fighting for a bit. No, it's rolling teams right now and uh, providing us one of the more surprising stories of the season. You know, last season, we spent a lot of time talking about San Diego State. They had one of those kinds of jumps. Started, I believe, 97th at Ken Palm and finished fourth. Now, they had played better teams in their non-league than Drake has played, but whatever. Um, the team has been impressive to date. And for Darren DeVries, this is he could mess around and go in a three or four year span from begging for a job to having job offers. If, yeah. if, if this season continues to go the way that it appears it's going, like you mentioned, he's Missouri Valley conference coach of the year in his first year, won 20 games last season in year two. And now he's got one of the more interesting teams in the country. Um, he's from Iowa, went to Northern Iowa we're not telling secrets here. Steve Prome at Iowa State entered this season with some real job pressure. And if Iowa State were to make a move or if Steve were to make a move and that job were to open for any reason, you would assume that the Darren DeVries at this point um, immediately becomes an obvious candidate for that job. So it's a terrific story. And for people who haven't read it yet, go find the court report. You can find it cbssports.com. Are you ready for the final four and one? You know I am. Let's do it. D update our records. I'm nine and 11. You are 10 and 10. You've got the edge Ooh. on me this week. Smoking you, smoking you, smoking <laughs> you. It's, it's not smoking. You're, You're about edging. to go the way of the dodo. <laughs> Oh, we shall see. What do you want to go? You're, with first? Go, you're oh. going the you're going the way of the dodo. Your reign of of uh, championship level final four in one performances about to go to the way of the dodo. All thanks to the Dutch, they would just walk up on these dumb birds in the bird like they like if you're a dodo bird back in the 1600s. There's a good chance that every dodo bird you grew up with has been eaten by the Dutch. And then here they come just walking up. You're like, Hey, what's up? How you guys doing today? Now, now you're, now you're, now everybody's gone. You're extinct. What were they doing? 1600s, man. What do you want from me? I can't believe I was that off on it though. I thought that was, yeah. 1902. Brutal. At some, at some point, at some point, if you're a dodo bird, you look around and like, man, yesterday there were 50 of us, you know, now it's just me and my boy, Doug, Doug Dodo, uh, where did everybody go? Perhaps we should be a little more skeptical of the Dutch. Why couldn't the dodo birds figure out that it was time to be skeptical of the Dutch? You know why? That's called natural selection. So that's how that goes. Saturday, noon Eastern, Ohio State at number 15 Rutgers inside Quincy Doobie Pavilion. You can watch it on the Big Ten Network, Rutgers minus one. Thank you, Quincy Doobie Pavilion. That's all I ask in the final four and one. Um, Ohio State has lost two of its past three. Both came on the road to Northwestern and Minnesota. It handled Nebraska at home. That game practically doesn't count. Rutgers has lost three of its past four. One of those came at home a week ago to Iowa. I wondered if you were going to pick this one. This one's tough. I'm going to take Rutgers to win and cover here. I think these teams are about even overall. Put them on a neutral seven-game series. I take Rutgers four games to three. Give me Peichel's crew. Um, it needs to win this one. Not needs, needs, but if it were to lose this, the next game scheduled is Wisconsin. That's another home game for Rutgers, and you just don't want to get yourself in that kind of position. Rutgers wants to continue to establish itself as a top-five team in the Big Ten. If you're going to do that, you win this game. I will take Rutgers to win. I'm with you on a seven game series on a neutral court. I would take Rutgers to win four three. I think Rutgers is the better team. Combine that with the fact that a, this is going to happen inside Quincy Doobie pavilion and B CJ Walker is sidelined um, with torn ligaments in his right hand at Ohio state. You know, he leads the team in minutes. He's averaging nine points, four assists per game. You know, he's an important piece that's not going to be available. I will also lay the one point with Steve Peichel's Scarlet Knights. Saturday, 1 p.m. Eastern, number four, Texas, at number 14, West Virginia, inside Joe Mazzula Coliseum. You can watch it on ESPN, Texas, minus one. Got some interesting ones here. Um, 
Joe Mazzula Coliseum, once like famously d- d- guarded Demarcus Cousins in the Elite Eight. Joe Mazzula looks like me. He's guarding Demarcus <laughs> he Cousins in the Elite Eight, and they won. Joe Mazzula does not look like you. Let that I be think clear. Joe Mazzula does look like me. I think he does. You can roll with that. We'll let the listeners decide. Uh, <laughs> West Virginia. I mean, it, it, it probably should have lost against Oklahoma State. Texas, Texas, Texas. Traditionally, you don't trust Texas in this spot as a program. <laughs> On the road. You're like losing it right now. He's looking at Joe Mazzula photos right now. He's losing it. He understands he looks <laughs> nothing like this dude. Nothing like him. Where is he, by the way? I think he's on a staff. Joe Mazzula, I think he's in coaching. I could be completely wrong, by the way. No, I think he is in coaching, too. Yeah, I think he is. You you find that out while I figure out who I'm going to take in this game here. Texas, 9-1, has won five straight, wins over OSU, Kansas, and Iowa State in league play at 3-0. Rhodey, I'm going to take Texas to win straight up and win out right here. Two weekends in a row, two Final Four ones in a row. I trust Texas more, uh, but if we are talking on Sunday evening's podcast about, you know, the Longhorns having lost this game by nine, I won't be stunned. Uh, but no, I'm gonna know Sheboy. He's gone. He's interviewing. He's heading out. I'm gonna take Texas to win. Joe Mazzula is on staff with the Boston Celtics. He, co- he worked for Brad Stevens. An unlikely turn, but good for him. I like. It. How about this, Joe Mazzula? dominates DeMarcus Cousins in the Elite Eight of the 2010 NCAA Tournament. You would think that's as bad as it ever gets for DeMarcus Cousins and as good as it ever gets for Joe Mazzula. And except you fast forward to 2021, and suddenly Joe Mazzula's professional career is in this moment probably going better than DeMarcus Cousins. I don't know about Who that. Who saw that coming? I, mean, I don't know about that paycheck. I, it depends, depends on how you want to define that. But, yes, good on him. Good on good on. Good on Joe. I'm. Uh, I like hearing it. I wonder Demarcus, if he, uh, Demarcus just, okay. Cousins' ability to be a high-level NBA player has gone the way of the dodo. Okay. Had you heard that phrase before? I used it. It's not like I, I didn't invent the phrase. Yes, like, but I, okay. but I haven't heard anybody use it since like 1662. No shot. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you taking, Texas or West Virginia? I don't know. I don't know yet. Let me think about it for a second. Oscar Sheway, by the way, his recruitment is starting to take shape. Miami, NC State, Kentucky, Illinois, Tennessee are all involved. So he's got big, big options. Um, He'll land somewhere unless he pursues a professional career. Um, I guess I'll take Texas minus one. I mean, I know basketball doesn't work this way, but I just watched them win by 25 at Allen Fieldhouse. I don't know why they can't win by two at Joe Mazzula Coliseum, right? That, 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 That holds together logically, right? As far as I'm concerned, it does. I'm with you. All right. So we're both, uh, we both took Rutgers and we both took Texas. Now we're on to game three, Saturday, 7 p.m. Eastern, number 19 Clemson at North Carolina inside the Leaky Black Center. I feel like Leaky Black should have that named after him. So it's going to be the Leaky Black Center. You can watch it on ESPN, North Carolina, minus one. Okay. Have all these been one? Yeah, Rutgers minus one, Texas minus one, UNC minus one. Um. This is the first time ever, ever, that Clemson is the ranked team in this game at the Leaky Black Center. Normally, Carolina's usually Carolina has never hosted Clemson when it was unranked and Clemson was ranked. First time ever. And what's interesting is last year, last season, Clemson won at North Carolina for the first time in program history. It famously ended a near six-decade drought. Now, could it actually go six decades without one and get one in back-to-back seasons? Perish. It's going to happen. Clemson is going to win again at North Carolina on Saturday night at 7 o'clock on ESPN. Top two defense in America. We'll have the best player on the floor in Amir Sims. This everything we've seen so far suggests that Clemson is better. There isn't the home court advantage. That building in general, by the way, is cavernous with no fans. That is a big, big building. Almost twenty two thousand can fit inside the Leaky Black Center. So UNC at seven and four. It really coulda, shoulda, mighta lost to Miami. The same deal uh, last weekend against Notre Dame. It got those wins, but it's seven and four, and it could easily be five and six. Give me Clemson to win it up. So Clemson, your prediction, Clemson goes from 0 and 59 in Chapel Hill to 2 and 59 in 
in Chapel Hill. Okay. Here's the thing with Clemson. They're good. Clearly good. Nine and one. Seven top 75 Kempon wins, but zero wins over anybody in the top 20. Okay. How many does North Carolina have? Zero. Zero in the top 20. Zero in the top 30. Only one in the top 40 being against Stanford. What's the problem? They're doing the best they can. Okay. So you're about to take Roy Williams and the Star Hill. You're about to, listen, if you're going to take Leaky Black, I, I understand. I'm not going to, I'm certainly not going against Leaky Black inside the Leaky Black Center. That seems like suicide. So, yeah, North Carolina to extend its winning streak to three games uh, and improve to eight and four on the season. I'll take the Tar Heels at home over Clemson. And then game number four, Sunday, 2.30 Eastern, number 16, Minnesota, at number five, Iowa, inside Adam Woodbury Arena. You can watch it on the Big Ten Network, Iowa minus nine. Nine feels like too much. Minnesota. Perfect, that's what she said. Okay. Minnesota's lost two of its past three on the road. It lost by Wisconsin by 12, Michigan by 15. I understand why it's nine. Maybe, listen, maybe the Sharps are like, no, nine is actually not enough. Uh, Hmm. These are these are tasty games here and tasty tasty projections. Um, Not as tasty as the dodo bird was to the Dutch. That's right. That's right. Um, are you willing to say uh, welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss dodo birds and leaky black? Are you willing? Uh, you seem to be pretty infatuated at the moment. Are you are you so infatuated that you're willing to shift gears? If I were to update it, it would be where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. All right, fair enough. I'm going to take, you know what? I'll take Iowa. I'll take Iowa at home to cover that nine. I don't love it. In fact, I don't even like any of these picks, if I'm being honest. This is going to be bad. But I will take uh, I'll take Luca Garzenko. He's coming off another really, really good game. Remember Adam Woodbury used to poke everybody in the eye when he played? I remember like every four months you bring this up on the podcast. Yes. I, I, lo- I love that Iowa used to have a guy who would just poke people in the eye. <laughs> like you had to be aware. Like it was on the scouting report. Like uh, you had to watch out for Adam Woodbury. He, he, he might poke you in the eyeball. Goes, un- goes under screens, quick off the cut, <laughs> pokes dudes in the eye. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a story. Like, like Fran McCaffrey had to defend him because he wouldn't stop poking people in the eyeball with his fingers. It's crazy. It's crazy we lived through that. I'll take Minnesota plus the points. You know, these teams have already played once, and Minnesota won it by seven in overtime. Was it overtime? I think it was overtime maybe. Yes, yes. On Christmas. And I know Iowa just beat the crap out of Maryland, and I know Iowa has won three straight, but – I do think nine points is a lot. I mean, Minnesota's good. I don't know that Minnesota's great. I wouldn't put them in the same tier with Illinois, Iowa, or Michigan, but I'd certainly put them safely in the next tier, and I'll just take nine points with a Minnesota team that I think's one of the top 20 teams in the country. All right, fair. Um, all right, before I get to my game, we'll, I'll do the usually quick uh, whip around of other games to be aware of on Saturday and Sunday. First of all, uh, a couple, some CBS love here. CBS Sports Network at four o'clock on Saturday has Connecticut at Butler. Why would that be just a game of no GP? Just quit off the off the top of your head. UConn at Butler. Why would that be something like you know what's a, what's a cool little nugget attached to that game? UConn at Butler. What is a cool nugget connected to that game? I have. Is it UConn's first ever game at Hinkle? Uh, you know, it damn well might be. That might be the other nugget. I don't have that. It really might be UConn's first game ever at Hinkle. That could be true. But uh, it's the first time these teams have met since arguably the worst national championship game in history, which was the first one I ever attended in 2011. Uh, mm. So there we go. That'll be 4 o'clock on CBS Sports Network. Butler needs that win. UConn uh, can continue what's been a pretty solid start in Big East play, as we talked about on the previous pod. It's on CBS, um, listen, fully aware, it's going to be a – it should be a great – playoff weekend in the NFL, two triple headers Saturday and Sunday, so we know that you'll squeak in like I will, a lot of uh, basketball in and around all the football uh, so CBS built around its football coverage, a 4.30 tip Oklahoma at Kansas Kansas should rebound, but keep an eye on that as you're watching uh, the hoops and the NFL playoffs there. Kentucky plays at Florida at 5 o'clock on ESPN on Saturday Keon Brooks is returning, that's a notable news item that got uh, announced on Friday, and 
if that's a Kentucky win, I think we'll we'll work in a little bit of chatter on the Sunday night pod because if if it wins, Brooks looks solid in however many many minutes he'll wind up playing or not, um, and we we'll see what comes of of Dante Allen. Uh, and you know just what the team looks like. Just keep an eye. That's certainly you want to you want to check in on that. Florida also could really use a, a good home win there. So so keep an eye out. Um, other games on Saturday. First of all, one got canceled or postponed. LSU at Missouri is no longer happening. That happened just as we were starting this podcast. COVID issues at Missouri prevented that from uh, from going down. That was a good Tiger on Tiger matchup, and that is going to have to be postponed. I was actually interested to see if Missouri was going to be able to rebound, but clearly it won't. And then the only other game that I think has a lot of intrigue on Saturday uh, to a wide audience is probably UCLA at Arizona. UCLA got a good win late on Thursday night in overtime at Arizona State, which is really slipping in a way that I didn't think was going to happen with the Sun Devils there. Mick Cronin, to the surprise of no one on this podcast, is 8-2 with a 4-0 start in the Pac-12. He is the best coach in UCLA history. John Wooden is second. And they are going to play at Arizona. Uh, and good, the, the good news for you, Parrish... Nine o'clock tip on ESPN. I know. I'm looking forward to that. You're going to get to see a Pac-12 game. How about that? You're pumped, aren't you? I watched UCLA on Thursday night. Yeah. Listen, a lot in uh, a lot in little time. The only other game, by the way, Gonzaga destroyed. We didn't really talk about it in this podcast because what's there to say? Gonzaga freaking mutilated BYU. The margin was 17, but it was like a 35-point game. Uh, it does play its first road game of the year at Portland. That's projected to be like a 32-point win. That is a Saturday night game as well. But keep track on the Zags and all of that good stuff there. Sunday's where I want to get to. So Loyola plays Drake. That won't be the game. That's a 6.30 p.m. tip on ESPN2. Uh, and one to certainly watch for. Providence at Xavier, 11 a.m. Sunday tip. If you're trying to squeeze in anything before NFL and college hoops stuff really gets going, um, that's a good one. And then the game that I'm going to give you here is a game that I think is... Uh, it's it's got good potential, I think, to be to be interesting just in terms of the bounce back factor with what we saw last night. Maryland plays against Illinois, eight o'clock on Big Ten Network. I I don't know when we're podcasting on Sunday. By the way, there's these NFL games that we can probably do it during the last one. The Bears play at four thirty, so we're gonna definitely do it after that. But this will be a rare case where the final of the final four and one is going to probably be going on as we do the podcast. Illinois is projected to win by 10. I think it feels a little bit trappy, though. Maryland's lost four of its past five. Illinois at home. I'm only picking this one because of the way Illinois looked in its game against Northwestern. I picked it before we started the pod, and um, I thought we might have disagreement on it. So before I make my pick... You give me yours. Terps plus 10 at Illinois, Sunday night game in Champaign. If you can hold Northwestern to 13 second half points, what do you hold Maryland to? Like eight? <laughs> Maryland might score eight. Feels like a weird one to me. I don't know, man. I'm laying the points. You are. I just, they, just, they just beat Northwestern 53 to 13 in the final 20 minutes. I'm not, I'm not going against that team. I'm going. I am. I'm, t- I'm not going to take Maryland to win. I- a weird game just completely against all my instincts i'm going to take maryland to cover in this one and lose by single digits and uh and so there we go that is uh that is your weekend slate for you um real quick gp uh before we uh wrap up and uh and continue or continue talking about dodo birds and and all that good stuff um i want to just bring up two other quick news items one uh, the NCAA released on Wednesday its COVID-19 protocols for all the tournament. Um, and in doing so, I wound up talking to a few different people on Thursday about all of this stuff. And it's interesting and just like, just keep, this is one of those, just keep it in your back pocket. We'll talk about it on the podcast week, two, three weeks from now when we know more. But there's a maximum of 420 people that are going to be allowed into the buildings right now that would be family members of all the teams if you're playing in it, which is interesting. They will not decide on fans until at least uh, the first week of February. And I was told that these teams that go to the Indianapolis, they have to provide seven consecutive COVID tests that come back negative before they leave. And then once they get there, they'll have to do two straight tests while they quarantine. But the conferences aren't going to be able to ask the NCAA for supplying the test or paying for the test. And that's already causing an issue. There is early 
consternation over the logistics around all of this, and it would not surprise me if we had some conferences not play their league tournaments. So that's information I got Thursday. That's a huge leap for a league to make. It will completely be dictated by the logistics of doing that and the cost-benefit analysis of holding your tournament on television when you're not going to have fans in the building. The escalating pandemic cases are continuing to rise. But as we are on the doorstep next week of the NCAA convention, which will be done virtually, that was one thing that got discussed to me. The other item, and then it's all yours, GP. Um, This was originally reported by Sports Business Journal. I did talk to a few different people. Uh, this is actually, to me, a significant headline that I expect to surface on Monday. Uh, and if it does, we'll probably get to it on our Wednesday podcast because Monday's the national championship game in football. But because the Alston case, and I'm not going to get details right now, but it's a, it's a hugely significant NCAA case. Because the Supreme Court has agreed to take that case, and no one knows if that case is going to be heard in April, May, June, July. No one knows. Because of that, and because the Georgia runoffs led to the flip in the Senate... So now that the Democrats control the House, they're two different issues, but they're both informing the NCAA's process. I'm told that the commissioners and the Power Five leagues, in addition to most, if not all, of the Group of Five FBS football leagues, so that's 10 of the 32 leagues, they don't want to vote in NIL legislation next week. GP, for months and months and months and months, this has been the expectation. NIL is coming in 2021. NCAA will vote on it in January. Mark Emmert literally told Congress this in the summer. And now, while it might be a logical position for the NCAA to take, uh, clearly the cynics will be out uh, loud and clear on Monday into Tuesday and perhaps even on this podcast on Wednesday if that comes to be because they're up against a weird deadline with all these states making all these rules and are they going to get federal help? Is there going to be a national law against all this stuff? So um, it's a dense, thorny issue, but I just wanted to put it on our listeners' radar here that next week, the thing that we've been talking about occasionally on this podcast literally for years, and if you follow college sports, you realize that name, image, and likeness legislation and empowerments for college players is the biggest structural thing that's been uh, talked about and discussed in the sport for a decade. Its day was supposed to come next week, and it's looking like that won't happen. Not definitely there could be an 11th hour change, but I just wanted to inject that into the pot as we wrap because I do think that stands to be a very big headline once the national championship game in football kind of settles and people realize what either was or wasn't voted on uh, Monday of next week. The thing that people don't talk about enough is – if the dodo bird could have made it, could have made it to this century and encountered Adam Woodbury, it is possible it would have then learned to be afraid of humans because they'd have been scared about getting poked in the eye over and over again, at which point that behavior leads to them avoiding extinction. I don't think that gets discussed enough. That's a butterfly effect right there. I don't think that gets discussed Why? Enough. Why? Why is there one team with a billikin, but there's not one team courageous enough to call themselves the Dodos? That's my question. I can't speak to that. I got an issue. That's not that, That's not something I can speak to. It's not for me to say. It's not for me I'm to say. I'm putting it out there. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle. Legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys for listening once again to the Iowa College Basketball Podcast in the middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. This is really the worst one. It's the worst one. It's the only one, it's by getting, the way. It's the, it's the worst. It's getting and it's getting seems to be getting worse yep. every day. I remember when people were talking about I can't wait for 2021. We got going? the 2021 started setting COVID death records and and a bunch of morons tried to take over the capital. That's too, that's what we were waiting on. 2021. We're not off to a great start. Nope. We we we're, we 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 have started 2021 like we're Illinois. Let's hope we can finish it like Illinois. Are we a second half team like that's Illinois? What I here. That's exactly what I. That's is it. our is our country a second half team like the Illini? Maybe. Either way, just the absolute most idiotic pandemic I ever seen. If you haven't subscribed yet, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. And we will talk to you again on Sunday night. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.